I do have a title today. The title is, Get Out of the Way! Do you ever find yourself in those moments? Yes. And now I know you do. That's a rhetorical question. You know, when you're in the car, when you're in your car, you're going to the grocery, or you're late picking up your child, or you're late to work, or something like that, and all of a sudden, you know, it's in, it's in, it's along 250, and the, and the, 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 it goes from 35 to 45, right? So you can go a little faster. Yes. And dude in front of you stays at 35. Like, what's going on? Get out of my way! That happens. Or they're at the red light. The red, the light, red light turns green, and, and you're like, "Go! Get out of my way!" Or like, if you're in the grocery store, and and you know, I know, and I've been there, right? You get there, you're in the aisle way, and then there's two carts, two different people. They're both busy looking at stuff, and and you, and you need to get to the chips that are just beyond them, right? And you're like, oh, I can't go all the way around, and and, and I know our hearts. Like, get out of my way, please. Uh, yes. Or, you know, this past, uh, a few weeks ago, Beth and I were on our, our, on our, on our kayak that we like so much. We were on a little uh, waterway, about the width of the, of the room here. And, and we're rolling, we're doing great, and all of a sudden we look back, actually Beth looked back, and there's this big, giant boat about the size of the center section of chairs. One of those kind that are really long, and have about 15 motors on the back that are going like 200 miles an hour. Those great big boats. We got out of the way of that guy. So, uh, so I know, you know, so, uh, when, you, when you think that or when you're, you're trying to get out of some way, it, it's a stumbling block to a destination, right? Either you're in the way of somebody else or oftentimes that thought goes through our mind when something, somebody else or something's in our way of, our, of, our, of, of the destination that we want to get to. So... Again, that is the title of today. Uh, unity is our destination. If you were here last week, we talked about Philippians chapter 1. We're going to reread a part of that today. But how Paul was just longing for the church uh, to, to not be more active in this or that, but simply just to be unified. Right. And wow, it was just a really some powerful words uh, that, we, that we read in the uh, because Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. And so when we think about unity as our destination, Unity together with Jesus, or unity uh, with another person, or with a group of people, you know, it starts with us. Yeah. It starts with, with us, or the person yeah. in the mirror. Yeah. That's who it starts with. And, um, you know, if we can get our selfishness, our, our biases, our pride, our, uh, just our own selves out of the way, that helps us to see God's blessings that he's already given to us in a much, much clearer way. And we become much more like-minded, much more unified, much more in one spirit. And so in Philippians, I'm actually going to start at the end of Philippians chapter 1. And we read last night, or last night, last week, uh, just to, to remind you of that. Verse 27, Paul writes to the church in Philippi, You know, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then... Whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but you will be saved, and that by God, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now here that I still have. You know, Paul writes 
again, that uh, uh, conducting themselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ isn't going out and doing more. It isn't, uh, it isn't praying more that he's, although we can't pray enough, you know, it's, the, the one thing he talks about of, 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 of uh, conducting ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel is being unified. And we even talked, if you remember, that was the one thing, or one of the things that Jesus prayed about uh, in the Garden of Eden. Last night before he went to the cross, again, that people would be, would be unified, striving together, working together, faithful in the gospel. And we also talked about, you know, similar to what Paul writes, is that's not really possible for the world. Because the only way to do that is actually through Jesus. Right. And so we go on from there. Uh, we go on from there and talk more today about, about being unified and how that works and, 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 uh, and, and our character. We'll look more at our character today, and that's where we start in Philippians chapter 2. The first point uh, is to be nothing. And so let's go ahead and read uh, chapter 2. I'll start reading verse 1. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ... If any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete and being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility. Value others above yourselves, not looking at your own interests, uh, but each of you to the interests of others. Again, point number one is be and nothing. I like how Paul starts out here in verse one. Do you have any encouragement from being united with Christ? Well, he's writing to disciples, right? Writing to, to people that have become Christians. Do you have any comfort knowing that he loves you? Do you see the Spirit working in your life? Do you have any tenderness or any compassion as Jesus did? Those are all rhetorical questions. The answer is obviously, well, yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah, yes. Of course we do. But there's still something missing when you read what Paul is, is saying. He said, you know, in other words, you know, he, you know, he's happy, but there's still something there that is missing. And I think it's important to go back and remember who he's talking to here, the church in Philippi. You know, by this time it's been around uh, about uh, 10 years, maybe a little bit more. Uh, but around 10 years that it had been around from uh, Acts chapter 16 when Paul first arrived in Philippi. And if you remember, we talked about the area. You know, there's retired military, uh, Roman military people there. There's wealthy people. Uh, there's certainly, I'm sure, some, some uh, more servant and slave uh, people that are in the church too. But it's a mix-up of, of a variety of people. Uh, some that, that uh, you know, probably you know, think about a retired military uh, person. Um, you know, as a person that you know, they they've had the title, right? They've got, they've they've uh, gained uh, prestige or whatever their role was in, in the military. If they were in the church there, uh, some were probably older, and with age, uh, you know, you 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 start to to feel like you know a little bit, right? As we grow older, you feel like you know your way around the world a little bit. You've got some good experiences. You've had bad experiences. And so I'm sure there's people in the church here that, yeah, I've been, I've been a Christian since the very beginning. I know what's going on here. And, you know, those kind of attitudes, those kind of thoughts start to creep in people's hearts and in their, in their minds. Right. You know, others, maybe there was others, you know, that maybe had become Christians, you know, many years ago. And, you know, they just get kind of complacent. 
Um, I've been there. I'm sure many of us have, have been there. You, you lose the desire. You, you lose your eyes, kind of get off the cross, and you get caught up in your, in your, in your world, whether it's your work or school, whatever it is. And you just you, you kind of lose the desire to grow. And, um, you know, again, there's, you know, some of these people have been around for, for a little bit. And, um, you know, sometimes we feel like, yeah, I, I, I've, got, I, I've got Christianity. You know, I, 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 we, know, we know up here, you know, that consciously, like, I know I haven't achieved something. But yet our heart and our action kind of shows something differently sometimes. And I'm sure there was people that were there in, in, in the church in Philippi were like that. And so not only do they have outside forces, you know, that were working, if you remember back in chapter 1, outside forces of the world kind of working against them being unified and them being on the same page, but even, I think, within themselves, right. there's these forces, there's these things that work against uh, the disciples and uh, to be unified, to be together, and they become kind of their own stumbling blocks. And so that's what I think Paul is addressing here is he's talking to their hearts, talking to their characters, talking to these people. And that's why he says, he says, if you have any comfort in knowing that Jesus loves you, if you've seen the Spirit work at all, then make my joy complete. Despite all of these, these things that can work against us, to, is to work on our unity by, um, by being like-minded, by having the same love by being one in spirit by being of one mind but not in each other Can you imagine that if we had let's see let's see if we're going to be like-minded let's pick somebody who's got a good mind who's got a good mind you know will schaefer yeah. That guy's like incredible, right? I mean, he works out in the morning and, and he does an incredibly hard job, serves the community. Let's all be like-minded like Will. Yeah. 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 Let's do it. Or the same love. The same love. Gosh, who do I think of? How about, you know, she's such a great mother of a young child and she's pregnant again. Devonda Smith. Let's have her kind of love. Being of one spirit, who could be like what, like a really good spirited person? I have to go with Finn Smith. Come on, Finn. Yeah, let's go. Let's be like Finn. Of being of one mind, who's just like another, just another great guy. Kathy Jeffers. Let's be like Kathy yeah. Jeffers. Yeah, no, but Paul's not talking about each other. If we start thinking about being being like minded and 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 and, and um, having the same love of each other. Well, we're going to fall short because all of, we all know that while some of us have different strengths and, and, and so forth, ultimately we've got to be like Jesus. And that's what Paul's talking about here is being like-minded as Jesus, having the same love of Jesus, being of one spirit with Jesus, and having one mind like that of Jesus. Paul is directing them back to Jesus. They, I think, had gotten to a place, and, and we do too sometimes. I find it myself where you know, you're just a little bit more self-reliant, right? And we know we need Jesus. We know we need the cross. And we know that up here, but somehow the, the connection to our heart sometimes gets a little bit stale. And Paul is directing them back to Jesus because that is the only way, the only way they'll ever be unified with each other, the only way they'll really draw a closer together and grow in that way is simply going back to the cross. 
It's the only way that's going to happen. Oops. Sorry. Come on, Bill. Page notes got out of order. <laughs> Uh, so he describes, in verse 3 and 4, he describes uh, the very uh, details of Jesus' love and spirit and mind. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. That was the spirit of Jesus. That was the mind of Jesus. That was the love of Jesus. And we see that throughout uh, Jesus' time here. You know, I just picked out a couple that were just around the moment of the cross, but you could go back through his whole life and see how Jesus always had the spirit of others, always had the spirit of not of himself, not out of vain conceit, but considering others. You know, in uh, Luke chapter 23, as the soldiers led him away, this is in verse 26, as the soldiers led him away, they seized Simon of Cyrene, who was, um, who was on his way from the country, and put the cross on him, and made him carry it behind Jesus. So Jesus had been beat up, he had been arrested, he had been spit upon, he had been stood up in front, uh, like a prop in front of all the people, only to have them shout at him, to crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. He's, you know, his disciples have deserted him, and now he's on his way with the cross, and he's too tired, physically tired. He can't carry it, so they grab this man, Simon of Cyrene. And so there's a whole crowd of people in verse 27. It says a large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. Jesus, and in his physical and emotional pain, we read this just a, a few weeks ago when we were looking at the cross, but he's, he's not, totally not, he, the guy cannot even carry the piece of wood that he's going to be crucified on. He is physically beat. He is at the end of his life. He is moments, moments away from taking on the sin of the world. And, and even at that moment, he thinks of actually the women that were crying, and understandably so, back behind him. Then later, he's on the cross. And if you're familiar with the story, there's a criminal. One on the right side, one on the left side. Jesus is in the middle. In Luke 23, verse 39, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said. Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our, our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. So Jesus, all three of them hanging on the cross, okay, in their moment of death. And Jesus is literally in the middle of these two guys arguing. Like, like you just like, oh, like you gotta be kidding me. I am, you know, I'm at my last moments. But in verse 42, the, the, the robber that defended him says, Jesus, re remember me when you come into your kingdom. He asked for one more thing. Like, can't I just die here in peace? He asked for one more thing. And what does Jesus say to him? He says, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus is totally thinking about this man 
Not about himself. And again, while on the cross, yeah, Jesus looks down and he sees some women there. In uh, John 19, we see, read verse 26. He said, when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother. While on the cross, he helps the, the, uh, the, the, the robber, but then he sees his mother there. Of all times, of all times, he's, he's ready, it's ready to end. His life is ready to end, and he's still thinking about other people. He looks at his mom and sees her crying. Maybe hysterically, I don't know. But he, she may, he makes sure that she is taken care of. That is the heart of Jesus. So when Paul writes, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but, um, but each of you to the interests of others. That, my friends, is the standard. It's none of us. This is the standard. That's so challenging. But he goes on. I'll start reading in verse 5, Philippians 2. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. Point number one, be nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, by being, uh, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth. You know, Paul shifts here from, you know, he's, he's kind of talking to the church. It's kind of an appeal to the church in those first few verses. But here he shifts and he just describes Jesus. It is the example of who they had made their Lord as an example for us. And he's just reiterating, it's very, it's very plain and simple language. I mean, it just, it's very poetic and it's very simple to see. But it's just reiterating what Jesus himself had taught. Back in Matthew chapter 20 and verse 25, some of the uh, disciples were arguing of being, being who can be you know, the closest to Jesus, who can sit at his right hand. And Jesus called them together in verse, uh, verse 25, Matthew 20. Called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. You see, that was their concept of, of, of lordship, of, of authority. Was this person a person underneath? And he said, not with you guys. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Right. And whoever wants to first be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Ugh. I mean, he 
into perspective what Paul is talking about here. So how do we do this? How, how, it's, it's, it's easy to read, but then you think, oh man, that's a bit of a challenge. I think sometimes, you know, lifetime Christianity, I think is an exercise in just getting ourselves out of the way. Yeah. Right? Back in high school, we had a, had a class, and they, actually I was sad because they took it away. Uh, as, as I got, you, there's a class you took your junior and senior year in high school. It's called Lifetime Sports. What? And they took it away when I became a junior. I was like really sad because I was a big fan of gym class. I was very active in life sports and things of that nature. But lifetime sports was a shift. They, they, the, the, the goal of the class was simply to teach you the, the rules of how to play different sports that you could do oh for a gosh. lifetime. Yes. Whether it might it might be a bowling, you know, back to back, you know, yeah. the, the digital scoring was just coming out then. So you know, we learned how to score by hand. Oh, right? yes. You learn the rules of you know tennis. Tennis is something you can play yes. for a long time, or golf. You know, these these sports that you can play for a lifetime because once you reach you know a certain age, uh, you know, uh, tackle football probably isn't your first choice. Oh, come on, no, no, no. Some of you are trying to relive the glory days of basketball. I've heard about it. But some of those more intense sports, the body just doesn't agree so much. So, so the lifetime sports are stuff that you can do for a really, really long time. And I think sometimes lifetime Christianity really is. It's just an exercise for life of trying to get ourselves out of the way. To get rid of our selfishness. To get rid of our biases and our pride. Because all of these things, are, they're the opposite of Jesus. They aren't his love. They're not his spirit. They're not his mind at all. They are completely the opposite. But yet somehow we go from being a, a young child, right, that, 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 that doesn't have these biases. It's just like, oh, I'm just happy it's a Monday. You know, I'm just happy to be alive. Where's my cookie? <laughs> we go from that to all of a sudden over time we have experiences that mold and shape us. We have our sinful natures that kind of grow in us. And then, and then when we make the choice to follow Jesus and to, to make Jesus our Lord, even then we're not perfect. There's not a perfection that comes with that. Right. It is a lifelong exercise, even as Jesus with our Lord, of growing and working on our own characters. You know, think, of, think about this just for yourself. You know, consider the person next to you as better than yourself. The person that you, you may not naturally get along with as well here. The person that, that, that doesn't have the same common interests. Or even the people that you don't, don't really know. You know, just get to know them. And support the ones that you do know really well. And above all things, above all things, whether it be our work or our school, whatever it is, we identify ourselves as followers of Jesus. That is the predominant thing in our minds. Or in our minds, our hearts, and just and shows our lives. But it's hard. It's easier said than done. But Paul continues, and I think continues to give us more tips on how to, how to implement this humility. Let's go ahead and read Philippians chapter 2. I'll continue in verse 12. Therefore, my friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now uh, much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to do uh, in you to will and to act in order to fulfill His good purpose. Yeah. 
Point number two is to be scared. You know, he says to work out our salvation with, with fear and trembling. And we talk about getting ourselves out of the way, getting rid of our biases, getting rid of our, 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 our sinful natures that, that sometimes are a stumbling block to our destination of being unified together as a body in Christ. Well, let's go back. Why, why do we even want to do this? I mean, because it is actually really, really hard. And it's easier to not really to work on our characters. But, so I think we should talk about that for a second. Is, is one, we just become better people, honestly. I mean, we just become better people in the community, in our schools, in our work, when we're, we're much more have a mindset of Jesus than, than our own sinful natures. But Paul talks about here, you know, is that we're fulfilling, we fulfill God's purpose in a better way. Which we need to is just a responding to the cross. Right? That is just a simple responding to, to what God has given to us, to you, to me personally. Is Jesus on the cross. He's given us a hope in heaven. And so some of it is just it's a response to the cross, a responsibility. And part of it is, is if we don't, you know what happens if, if we're not working on our characters, if we're not engaging into some of these things? Is that you get old and bitter. Yeah. You get old and bitter, and you get bothered by you know, things that just don't matter. And we've seen that. I mean, any of us that have been around for a long time, I think we've seen that. And we can get old and bitter. Sometimes we just don't even know it. We certainly don't want to admit it. But we're just, uh, life's let us down. You know, we roll our eyes a little bit. We can get into that, into that, uh, that spirit. And again, that is not the spirit of Christ. And I think that's why Paul strikes a bit of fear in the church of Philippians here. It's like out of fear of growing bitter, out of fear of your heart growing hard, out of fear that these disappointments in life will, will bring us down or take you to a dark space. Work out your salvation. Because those are the very things that can take it away. It's not like we can be more saved. He's not talking about, gosh, if you do this, you can be more saved than you were last week because you're getting better. That's not, that doesn't even make sense. Right. Right? But it's more of keeping away what will happen if we don't keep working on these things. Of that bitterness growing the roots of our heart, of hearts growing hard. Working out our salvation. Because that is like, ah, you don't want to go back to that. And it is hard. It is hard because what happens, you know, letting God work on our character, it inevitably allows for challenging situations to come, come up. Right? We've probably been there. Challenging situations come up when we're letting God kind of work, work on our character. And how we respond is oftentimes showing right where, where our heart is. So I think that's why Paul launches into verse 14 of chapter 2. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I'll be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain, but even, even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and I'll rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice 
with me. You know, all of these things you know, can, 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 uh, can happen in our lives that just that challenge our characters a little bit. You know, things that just test us. You know, we, we think we get patient. And then, you know, something happens. And then we go, okay, I'm not that patient. So I work on patience. So now I'm, now I'm level eight patience, right? Yeah. I've reached level eight. And, but then there's something to reach you to level nine and then level ten. And then you discover the scale goes up to 300. <laughs> and so those things happen. And that's exactly why Paul launches into this specific thing of do everything without grumbling. Do everything without arguing. That's exactly why he does it. Then we got to uh, uh, swallow our pride and consider others better than ourselves and let God be God. You don't think he's big enough to help that other person or these other people in the situation? He is. He is. It's not up to us to argue and complain about it and get our feathers ruffled. And he hits it both ways because he's dealing with the heart. Paul does in his letter. You know, arguing, arguing out loud, it has never once helped a baseball manager argue strikes and balls, and it doesn't help us grow spiritually either. It just doesn't. But then, so what we do, we sometimes know that, right? So we just keep it inside. Like, oh, I'm just not going to argue. <laughs> and I go home, and I'm laying in bed, <laughs> and we're just, it's inside. Right? You know, I've been there, and I know we've all been there. Right? And that's why he says, okay, let me address the grumbling. Keep you, uh, is, is a grumbling. Keeping your complaints inside doesn't help either. Yeah. And all this stuff, it's applicable, you know, here on a Sunday morning, or midweeks, or any you know, the time the church uh, meets together. But it's applicable as much at your work, sure at your school, yeah. When you're in your car, social media, Facebook, things like that, there's, I, I know, I am full aware, as all of us are, there are tons of stuff out there that we can argue with, tons of stuff out there that we can complain about, because it is a messed up world. Paul even says that. It is a messed up world. And there's lots of stuff out there that actually doesn't make us happy. It really makes us mad. And I get that, and I know that. And Paul does too. It's the same thing for the church in Philippi, and I think that's why he's talking about that. And so these are things, gosh, to take to heart. To take to heart, because we can all grow in these things. All grow in getting ourselves out of the way by being nothing and being scared and letting God work in our hearts. I don't want to grow old and bitter. That's why I talked about that. It's like, and just as we get older, I was like, you know, we've been in a church for a long time. And brothers and sisters, we, we've seen it. Yeah. We've seen older people, our peers, you know, start to give up, start to grow stale. Right. And they settle. They settle for what life could be even, even better. I would much rather land in a place where Paul writes in verse, uh, verse 15. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. If we grow in our humility, grow in just being nothing, grow in, our, our, in who we are and having a clear view of ourselves, 
that will help us to grow and being unified, grow in our relationships with God, and it will help the whole church grow and move together and strive forward as one. I think that's what Paul was talking to the church at Philippi about. I think that's a lesson we can all take with us today. What a glorious lesson. I mean, you can imagine. You ever look out? One thing I appreciate about here versus where we lived in Cincinnati, the sky's darker. It's a darker sky. I've noticed that. I can see the stars. I can see the stars. I ain't even gone way out in the country. Imagine I'm like out the Grubbs House place. I mean, it's like pitch dark. I love being, we used to do a lot of camping when you could see the Milky Way across the sky. I kind of miss that. It's been a long time since I've seen that. But it is like this amazing thing in the dark sky to see a planet, to see a star shining. But that's exactly what Paul's talking about. We work on these things in this dark world. We can be bright lights to light the sky. Thanks for listening to the Blue Ridge Podcast. My name is James Lim. And if you'd be interested in more resources like this or connecting with us, visit us online at blueridge.church or join us at Burnley Moran Elementary School at 10.30 a.m. Sundays in Charlottesville, Virginia. Thanks for tuning in and see you next time. Thank you.